Our children come through us, not for us, except for the lessons they reflect to us during their journey in an effort to grow us up along the way. Midlife Ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. Our guest today, Kim Minch, wrote a book titled Becoming Me While Raising You, A Mother's Journey to Herself, which is so descriptive of my relationship with my two teenage daughters at the moment. I have wanted so badly to be the perfect mother for my daughters. I mean, you know, that's how I roll. Right. (laughs) Uh, It's pretty frustrating when you do so much and the struggles just continue to exist. Yes. You know, Shelby, Kim notes that moms are the emotional barometer in the families and you know me, I don't hold back. So have you ever thought that the stress and anxiety that you are putting into being perfect for your girls is maybe what is creating or bringing that same stress or anxiety into your relationship with them? It's, it's kind of like maybe they feel you trying so hard that they're then resisting it because we know, I mean, we know this is what teenage girls do. Yeah. You know, I think you are so right. And I guess that's why our conversation with Kim today is so appropriate. The more I have conversations with our guests, the more I realize the ongoing work I need to do on myself and that when I help myself, that then will transform my relationships with those around me and those that I love the most. So I know that I need to stop being what I think other people want me to be and just be me. Uh, And I thought that's what I was doing, but (laughs) um, now I'm realizing that I'm still trying to figure it out for sure. Well, we all are. And the good news is, is that today Kim is going to help us unpack our own limit beliefs about ourselves so that we can live more authentically. And, you know, I I think a limiting belief that you have, Shelby, is that you have to be perfect to be loved. And honey, I'm going to tell you that perfect does not exist. I know. I know. Ah, wow. So yes, you're right. And we know our listener out there has her own limiting beliefs. And ladies, we want to hear from you. So leave us a review and join our Facebook community and let us know one of your limiting beliefs. We love you. And now without further ado, let us welcome Kim Minch. Yes. Thank you for being here today, Kim. We're so happy to have you. Yes, Shelby Trinity, I'm very excited to be having this conversation with you today. I hope to impart some wisdom on your listeners and also, you know, learn more about you guys as well. So I'm excited to have this. Good. Absolutely. You have just written a book and the title of the book is Becoming Me While Raising You, A Mother's Journey to Herself, which I think is so powerful. And I would love to know how you 
came to this idea for writing the book and tell us a little bit about what is the message of the book? Oh my goodness. That's a big question. Okay. So I did self-publish the book Becoming Me While Raising You in July of 2021. I'm actually in conversation now to go under contract with a publisher. So I'm very excited about where the book is Congratulations. Thank you. Very excited about that. The book, the title came to me, I think in some mundane moment, I was either vacuuming or showering some, you know, it just, <laughs> and I literally had to write it down because as a mom of five, my kids are now 17 to 35 years of age, but as a mom of five and a midlife mom, I often forget things. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but oh yeah. I <laughs> so when it came to me, I literally had to write it down because I was like, this encapsulates what I think parenthood is becoming me while raising you. Mm-hmm. And to delve into my backstory a little bit more, I became a parent at the age of 18. Um, I was a freshman in college and got pregnant. And came home from my freshman year, six months pregnant, and my parents, especially my dad, was not real happy with me in the situation. Right. He really didn't feel that at 18, I was ready to be a mom. So he basically had told me right before my son was born, if you decide to bring that child home, it won't be here. So Mm. I had to figure out and navigate the welfare system and apply for benefits and whatnot while while I was pregnant with my right. So it was very stressful, but I don't obviously regret any moment of that. It changed my life, but I think it's also helped me become um, the strong, resilient, gritty woman that I have become. That was the first hurdle that I had was, Mm -hmm. you know, becoming a parent at that age. I was with his dad for the first couple of years. We never married, but I was with him and it, and it really got to be kind of an abusive relationship towards Mm -hmm. me. So I went through that breakup and was single parenting and ended up not, not so long after that, uh, dating my now husband. So I've been married 30 years and together wow. with four children. So that it was kind of a couple years of craziness. I got married at 23 and then I started to have my other kids and life was very busy and navigating co-parenting with my eldest son's dad. It was tumultuous. Mm. to say the least. Mm -hmm. And I think that my son who did suffer from some anxiety and depression during his teen years, which we had him in counseling for. But I think when I look back on that, I don't know that he felt overly a hundred percent accepted for who he was in either our home or his dad's home. Right. And I think that was a contributing factor to it. And I, as a parent, you can get stuck in all the ways that you've done a crappy job or, you know, all, all the stuff that your kids are getting involved in that maybe aren't the wisest choices. And you can get stuck in that place of if I were just a better parent, or if I had done this instead of that. And really I have found over the years that when we concentrate and stay there, it's not productive. It's not productive for us. It's not productive for our kids. So it's okay to acknowledge where we fail as parents at times and where we make decisions that maybe we wish mm-hmm. later we hadn't have made. Yeah. But I don't think staying there is helpful or productive. So fast forward a couple of years, my eldest son ended up going through an addiction to alcohol. Yeah. And it was walking through that and and navigating the tightrope walk of parenting through his addiction mm. that really I, I think 
forced me to look at the way that I was raised, the way that I was parenting, knowing I had four kids behind him and wanting to do differently because mm-hmm. I knew that I had done some things that weren't helpful or healthy in the situation. So in November of 2008 is when I got the phone call from him saying that he was really in trouble with alcohol mm-hmm. and we lived 1200 miles apart. He, oh, was gosh. 20, he was 20 years old and I had moved with my other four kids to Texas with my husband. So he was in our home state of Wisconsin And I had moved with my kids. He had graduated high school. He had a job, a girlfriend. There was no reason for him to come to Texas. But regardless, he fell into a very, very hard into an addiction to alcohol to cope Mm. with his anxiety, depression. And he had also developed OCD. Mm. So navigating, trying to be a present parent to my younger four kids and of course, present wife to my husband, while also attending to sometimes very harrowing circumstances that were Mm -hmm. with my eldest son, 1200 miles away was very stressful. I'll just put it in a nutshell there. Yeah. Um, Only imagine. So the book is really, the book is broken up into three parts. The becoming me part are the six limiting beliefs that I took on in childhood. Things like I can't trust myself. What I have to say doesn't matter. I've lost my voice. Mm. Um, I can't make healthy choices, fear around money. Um, But really the one that I think I've concentrated on is I I lost my voice. And when did that happen? And working through that. So Mm. becoming me is the six stories from my childhood that helped formulate what I believed about myself and what Mm. was operating unconsciously through me while I raised my Mm -hmm. kids. So becoming me while raising you. So during many years of my parenting, I, those beliefs were playing out over and over again, Mm. my marriage and with my, you know, in parenting my kids. And then the last part of the book really incorporates how I discovered those beliefs, worked through those beliefs and the work that I now do with moms. Mm -hmm. So and it's so complex, like I get it, get into like a lot of it. Right. Well, yes. before, before yeah, we okay. jump into that, I do yeah. want to dissect just a little bit more of your story related to your son. Since okay. we started going down that path, I'm so curious, Kim, did you find yourself in a space where you had to reparent him in order to shift some of the maybe the beliefs or the challenges that he was holding on to from his earlier childhood. If I was going to use the word reparent, I would use it for myself yeah. okay. as opposed to my son. And I think, I think that his, and I should say, this is very important at this point to say he is 12 years sober. So he's, he's 35, Congratulations. 12 years sober. Yes. And that I think is in part attributed to how I handled his active addiction and the darkest days that he walked through, but also, and more importantly, has everything to do with the choice he makes every moment of every day to stay mm, sober. Yeah. Good and, for him. and when you talk about reparenting, I think when I, when I say this, this call in November to me from him was a parenting wake up call, but also my personal awakening also was me realizing, you know, I didn't get stuck in the whole how I had failed, how his dad and I had not done well at co-parenting him. You know, I, I acknowledged where I contributed because I did. Mm-hmm. 
but I did not want to sit in that. And I knew that wasn't going to be helpful for him trying to find long-term sobriety. Yeah. No, I love that concept. And I feel like I'm really relating and to your story and that your story is really resonating with me. And I think a lot of our listeners out there will agree that often we have these stories that we tell ourselves that originate in our, in, in our childhood. And you shared some of those limiting beliefs. I don't have a voice. Perhaps we tell ourselves that I'm not good enough. I will never Mm -hmm. be loved. We, we have these stories that we tell ourselves and those do play themselves out in our interactions and in our interpersonal relationships with those that we care about most. So I'm curious, what was the biggest story that you were telling yourself and how did that play itself out in your relationship? Because I would love for our listeners to be able to grasp onto that story because those are where the rich lessons are. Yeah. Okay. So the most important thing that I've really worked on, and and I am demonstrating that right now by being on this podcast is the fact that I lost my voice or what I had to say didn't matter. That, that was something I took on. And when I asked myself, you know, what do I really believe about myself? When I really spent some time reflecting on it, what I could see was that I really often silenced myself. And so then I asked the question, where did that come from? Where, where, when is the first time that I remember feeling like what I had to say didn't matter? And it it came out that I had had a, a situation with my dad when I was six years old and it was after dinner one night, I grew up in Wisconsin. It was a beautiful summer night. And my mom ran to the store and put my dad in charge. And I have two younger brothers. They're two and four years younger than me. Sure. So we went outside to play after dinner. My dad was in charge. And I had said to my four-year-old brother on the way to the swing set next door in our neighbor's house, I want to race you. I want to let's race to see who can go higher on the swings. And of course, he was all on board with it. And my two-year-old brother came along with us, but he played in the sandbox nearby. So four-year-old brother and I are swinging, swinging, swinging. We're going crazy and, you know, trying to get as high as possible. And my youngest brother started to toddle toward my swing and I could see he was coming closer and I knew how high I was going, but it's one of those moments where like so much happens in one moment. So I yeah. started to yell like, stop, you know, cause I knew he was coming and I knew what was going to happen, but I couldn't stop myself in time. So I ended up plowing into him like Mm. full force and then coming back down on him full force. And I can remember, yeah, I can remember like holding on to the swing and feeling his body like vibrate because I Mm. hit him like through the swing and just feeling sick in my stomach. Right. So the swing finally stops and my brother's crying and my dad comes rushing over and I'm trying to explain what happened. And he basically turns to me and says, go to your room. Mm-hmm. And I knew my dad's voice <laughs> and yeah. knew when to push it and not push it. Right. So four-year-old brother and I went back to the house. I went up to my room a little while later, my mom came home, took over my youngest brother. I still didn't know how hurt he was and still mm-hmm. didn't know what had happened really. So eventually my dad came into the room and I tried to explain myself again. I did not know how hurt he was and I was scared. And he said to me, you're the oldest, you should have known better. And then he spanked me. And I think that I don't say that story to throw my dad under the bus in any way, shape or form. Right. I was not spanked regularly. It was an occasion. I don't know if he was 
who knows what else was going on in his life that evening? Who knows what the story was? But bottom line, what I took out of that, and I didn't consciously know that then, but what I took out of that was, it doesn't matter what I say. Mm. People aren't going to hear me just shut mm. your mouth. Mm -hmm. So that played out. I think I didn't like raising my hand at school. I deferred to others in my friendships, the boys I dated, you know, I went along with things that I shouldn't mm. have gone along with because I didn't speak up for myself and how that played out with my, my husband. Similarly, definitely at times, you mm -hmm. know, keeping the peace, wanting to be, I'm not yeah. a conflict person. Mm -hmm. And with my kids as well, feeling disrespected at times with my telling them something, maybe having to tell them three times and feeling, you know, disrespected. And that was, a, that was a tape that was running in my mm -hmm. mind. Right. So the way that I shifted that once I realized, what do I believe about myself mm -hmm. that I don't, you know, that my voice doesn't matter. Where did that come from? This is the first time I remember feeling that way. Is it true? Of course, it's not true. Of course, it's not, you know, like I, right. I knew, I mean, as a 50, 50 year old woman, like, I know this isn't true logically. And then if it's not true, what is, mm. and this is where we have the opportunity to rewrite what we believe, but it's easy to rewrite it. It's easy for me to rewrite. I am worthy of being heard. I do have a voice and what I have to say matters. So that was what I came to, but the real transformation comes in practicing that sure every time i do a TikTok video every time i do a school presentation where i talk to parents i'm working on a tedx talk right now about this these four questions um and i'm scared to death to do it but i will do it every time i show up on a podcast every time i say back to my husband like i'm not doing this with you i'm not listening to this anymore Every time I have, you know, some kind of go back and forth with my kids where I feel that they're being dis disrespectful, you know, this, these are the ways that I practice the new belief and some days go better than others. And it is a practice. Yeah. That's really powerful. So many women, especially I think as you had an, you had an early start in being a mother, right. And you yeah. were still being raised by mm -hmm. your parents at that point which quickly yeah. turned to raising yourself yes. <laughs> at that point. Right. So you, you jumped into this without ever having been at a point in life where you'd found your voice. Yes. And then we get to midlife and we've lived our whole lives living for other people in particular, oftentimes that ends up being our children or our partners mm -hmm. and realize that along the way, either we lost our voice or we never found it. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you were able to find your voice in a space where you probably had more cards stacked against you mm -hmm. than most when it comes to just being able to articulate who you are and your belief system and your foundation. How did you find that? How did you, how were you able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, girl, you're going to find your voice and this is who you are and start to live in that. Hmm. I wish that I could tell you Trinity that it is a easy 
or not even easy, that it is this three-step process. That, right, that's right. what I need, right? This is the one, the two, the three, you do this, and exactly. then you do this, and do this. I think- You drink a bottle start. of wine, yeah. turn around six times. <laughs> yeah, it's, so, so I really feel like my personal, intentional reparenting slash finding myself and deciding who I am started with that phone call in 2008 from my son. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's an ongoing process. You know, I tell you like right now, right. I'm writing this TEDx talk and, and I know it's going to be on these questions because I think that it's not even pertaining so much to middle-aged women or women in general, everybody has beliefs. Yeah. Everybody can go through this process and they can start to decide to practice more authentically and be who they are and not what everyone else wants or needs them to be. But I guess what I'm saying is for a while, the book, getting the book published was like my reach goal. And now it's to do this TEDx talk. And I am Mm -hmm. most afraid because the idea of memorizing 15 minutes of material, even though it's my life really scares me, but I'm going to do it Mm, because that's, that's what if you truly want to create change, it's about the little things that you will do every day that you won't compromise on. You may fall short, but you won't give up because yes. you know these are the things that are helping you be a better human being. And not only that, but you're modeling for your children. What do you want to model for kids? We do want to model the fact that you can make some mistakes and you can make bad choices and you can recover from those things. You know, you're not perfect, but I think that we forget, and especially moms in self-care, like seriously, I meditate every day. I walk 15,000 steps every day. Wow. I have a glass of Chardonnay every day. These are my my things and everybody has to find theirs, but self-care are the things that you put into place every day that you will not negotiate Mm -hmm. on for yourself because they feed your soul. Yeah. I love that. And I love, I just want to unpack a couple of things and dwell on those things for a moment, if we may, because one thing that stood out to me is that this was a small T trauma that happened in your life. And I think a lot of women go through life looking for the the results or the impact of the big things that happened to us. My mother passed away when I was seven years old. I was in an abusive marriage. These are big T traumas that happened to us. But I want to just reflect on the fact that this one incident had this profound impact on you. And so I feel like trauma can come in all shapes and forms is the message that I think is so important. And it's noticing the triggers that you have now. And I love the question, you know, what is the source of this thought that I'm having right now? What is the origin of this story that I'm telling myself that really starts us down this path of healing? And I feel like I found that as well as I am parenting my daughter's And I love the idea as well that you're a a human being as a parent. I think so often, you know, our listener out there feels like we have to be perfect as mothers and as people. 
in this world. And there's so much pressure on women to fulfill this image that society has created for us around being the perfect parent, but we are imperfect. And I love the idea that that's okay. And I have made mistakes recently with my daughters and I've had just a conversation with them because now, now they're 13 and 16 and it's easy to sit down and say, this happened to me when I was young. And I've Mm. just noticed that this is playing itself out when I disciplined you the other day. And so I just want to come back and apologize for that and say, I am an imperfect human being and I'm trying to figure it out as we go. And I love this idea of modeling humanity for our children and, and helping them to recognize that we all make mistakes, that we're all human and that it's okay to do that. And, yeah. and to share those moments with your children. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I think I think it's really important for us to be vulnerable with our kids to a point, right? We don't want to give, yeah. we don't want to overburden our kids with our stuff or sure. our emotions. But to your point of your kids are now old enough to be able to, and, and I think probably deeply appreciate the fact that you would mm-hmm. visit a moment where I don't think parents, I'm Gen X, right? I don't think parents would did that, you know, they didn't do that. And so, so to feel and validate our kids' feelings is one of the shifts that I think we need to be taking in parenting. I, Mm -hmm. and I, and I truly believe that our kids' behavior today is screaming at us to Mm. shift the way we parent from one of over them to one of with them. Mm-hmm. especially during their adolescence, it is really important that we come up alongside of them. The more we try to control, and I work with moms of kids who are in this transition period, they're, they're out of high school and either they haven't gone to college or they're, they're in college and they might be away from home and all navigating like, am I doing too much? Should I just let them fail? You know, the anxiety of how expensive college is and I can't let them fail. And I'm tracking my kid and she says she's here and she's here. And like, it's driving me crazy that she's lying to me and all of the ways Mm. that we have to learn it. And I'll work with parents who will say, well, I'm just not going to throw my kid out of the house. And I'm like, I get, I get that. Like I lived through it and figured it out, but that's, that's me. But you know, we can't, we have to find this fine line of when are we helping and when are we enabling? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering too, as you're sitting here talking for me, I know how my own personal trauma is and I'm unpacking this still. It's an ongoing <laughs> body of work here. <laughs> um, but I have started to recognize that I am maybe being overly cautious because I had so much trauma that impacted me from my childhood. And I'm trying so hard not to have the same type of impact on my children as I had from my parents when I was (laughs) young. And so I think we get caught up in this effort again, to be perfect. And perhaps we're not serving our children because maybe they do need to go through these experiences so that they can learn and we can't protect and shield them from everything. So how do you identify what is healthy and what's not healthy? Where do you draw the line there for your own sanity and for the sanity of your poor children who are trying to- Yeah, and I will- 
I think that's, yeah, I can tie helping versus enabling, mm-hmm. um, I think would be very helpful. And I just, I want to say to your point, because I think this will really make an impact. My, the closer my daughter gets to 18, so I have four boys and my youngest is my daughter who's 17. Mm. The closer she gets to 18, graduating high school, she has a close boyfriend. I'm much more triggered by her. And I know I'm triggered because wow. I was 18 when I had my son. And, but the thing about it is it's awareness, understanding this is my stuff. This is mm. not her. So don't, So be careful not to project my anxiety and make assumptions about the choices she's making in her life that, you know, that she's just going to end up like me. But of course, my son's turning 18. None of that triggered me, but the closer she gets to 18, Interesting. The more. So I just, I just want you to like, I totally identify with that in terms of helping. Helping is when we do something for someone else that they can't do for themselves. And it's occasional. Enabling, on the other hand, is when we do something for someone else that they can and should do for Mm. themselves, and we are doing it on a regular basis. And oftentimes we develop a resentment because of what we're doing for them. Mm -hmm. Mm. I find that super fascinating. And so my follow-up question is, what part of our identity as mothers gets tied up in the enabling because we have taken care of everybody for so long. And I perceive it's hard for us as mothers because we have an identity in the helping. We have an identity in taking care of all of the people around us. And so how can we as women caught up in this identity of mother, of caretaker, allow our children to go forward and know that they're going to be okay and reclaim some of our own identity. Well, I'm going to start by answering that with a quote that was also downloaded to me and is actually the last page of my book, because I think it's something that will put some of this in perspective and start the answer. So again, a very mundane moment, this came to me and I think it's very profound when we think about it. And that is our children come through us not for us, Mm. except for the lessons they reflect to us during their journey in an effort to grow us up along the way. Mm. Wow. So they're not here for us, except for what they can teach us. And to go back to thinking about when we were growing up, we want to save our children from any, you know, we don't want them to make the same mistake or have to go through something difficult. The last thing I would ever want was for my son to go through what he went through and end up in jail and all the right. other things, right? But when I look back at my life, it was in those difficult moments in the becoming a mother at 18 and figuring out how to live on my own that helped me to become the strong, independent, gritty person that I am today. It was walking through my son's addiction that helped me. So when we take away, when we do too much for, when we fix for our kids, we are not giving them the opportunity to understand who they are and how much strength that they can have. Mm. It doesn't mean we just throw them out, right? We don't, but we, we need to support and encourage them where they are at rather than 
doing for them what they can and should do for themselves. Mm-hmm. I often find I I get stuck in not as much of the doing, but more of the telling. So it becomes this um, nonstop with my 20-year-old son. Have you talked to your counselor? Have you done this paperwork? Have you opened your mail? Have you looked at, and it's just like this nonstop one-sided conversation of me asking him if he's done all of the things that he has not obviously taken either the time nor the space to figure out on his own, um, which is, you know, its own crazy way of enabling. Cause obviously my communication as I, as I counsel myself now and talk to myself through this, thank you, <laughs> um, is that I feel like I'm displaying that I do not trust that he can make decisions or reason through things on his own. Mm-hmm. And it's about trust. And trust mm-hmm. is a two-way street. We often say we want to, I can't trust you to our children or, you know, you, and the reality is a lot of times it's that we don't trust ourselves to be able to mm-hmm. handle what they may or may not do with all of the things that they need to do. Right. Mm-hmm. But they have to learn if they don't, if they don't learn, you know, if you don't allow them to, and, and you're always reminding them to, and whatever. First of all, my question is, and I do this a lot with parents is when was the last time you just did something with your kids that didn't have anything to do or had a conversation with your kids that didn't have anything to do with what they needed to be doing or should be doing or didn't do or lacked of, you know, that kind of thing. Um, because we have to get back to the connection <laughs> with our kids. Our greatest defense, if I can, and I'm putting that in quotes because I just feel like that's where it needs to be. Our greatest defense against our kids making unhealthy choices with their lives, drugs, alcohol, sex, you know, the things that we don't want them doing way too soon is the relationship that we have with them. Mm -hmm. And if we have no relationship other than to be the one who gives out the discipline, the one who reminds them everything, if we don't know who our kids are, we aren't developing a relationship. And those kids may not be who you want them to be or or who you expected them to be. Um, I've certainly found that with my kids over the years to learn to appreciate who they are mm-hmm. and show me who they are and release even some unconscious expectations that I didn't know I had. Yeah. It's so funny that you, you asked the question, when was the last time you had this type of conversation without any of the other, you know, what it could have should have. And yesterday he and I were sitting outside in the sun and we're just having just a beautiful conversation about life and talking about what's going on and reconnecting and catching up. And I felt myself like feeling so compelled to like, this would be a great time to slide in. Hey, did you take care of this? Or here's what I need you thinking about. And I knew that I didn't want to do it. And I could not stop myself. I could not pull the words back into my face. And I knew it was coming. And I knew it was even breaking the moment. And yet, and still I did it. Mm. Mm. But I think there in that is acknowledgement and awareness. Yeah, And so I think, you know, what I hear Kim saying is that that's the start. You have to just start with that moment of awareness. You know, Trinity, we always say, use your emotions as a compass mm-hmm. and start to ask yourself, why, why do you feel the need 
to jump in and guide and tell and correct and show and remind what is it within you that's creating this yeah this need to make sure he's got all of the things that he needs to to operate in life and so then kim let's reflect again you said there were four questions that we have to ask ourselves i feel like one of them was why am i feeling this way what were the others again remind us well okay so the the four questions really are what do i believe about myself what do i believe and you have to this is not something that it's certainly something that you can sit down with a notebook and a quiet you know maybe put some good music in and Mm -hmm. whatever and start thinking about that but it, it actually you'll probably come out first with the surface answers of i think i'm a pretty good mom i think i'm you know I'm good at painting or, you know, you'll go through all the roles and all the surface kind of stuff. And then it will be important to keep thinking on that and keep digging to, again, where I got was, I don't feel like I'm worth hearing. Like, I don't feel like what I have to say matters. So it's, what do I believe about myself? Where did that come from? Because I think it's really important for us to identify. And and the thing about it is, we can take on beliefs about ourselves in the most mundane moments of our lives, right? This was like a summer night when I was six years old and I don't Mm. pull that out of a hat. I know that was the, I know it was Mm because it's so clear to me. And then to ask yourself after where did it come from? Is it true? Mm. Is this belief true? And if it's not true, what is true? It may not be the exact opposite, but write a belief that is truer about yourself. And then again, the hardest work after becoming aware and identifying is practicing that new belief. Mm-hmm. Because I've for 50 some years operated with the idea that I wasn't worthy of being heard. So you have right. to expect that it's going to take some time and some days are gonna go better than others when I show up and speak my truth and this goes to the book as well. I'm veering off topic here, but the reason that I published the book is not so much that everyone needs to know Kim Minch's story. Everybody has a story, but everybody has beliefs. And I think I used my story really well to illustrate what limiting beliefs look Mm -hmm. like and how we can shift them. And in sharing my truth, I inspire others to do the same. And there's not enough truth in the world. There's not, there's not enough people that are living, living what they're speaking, being in alignment. So I love that. So Trinity, where do you think that's coming from? You know, I think that there are a lot of factors that come into play. And I just, I've always been so set on figuring out what I have to do ahead of time to be better than the next person, to be better than, to be stronger than, faster than whatever it takes And I think there's an expectation that I have, although I don't communicate it, I do think it's an internal expectation that he would have that same mindset. But I think we're in a different time. Mm -hmm. I think we're in a different time that doesn't require necessarily that same um, mindset in order to find equality. And I think he's operating in a new timeline that I could probably stand to benefit from. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a lot of of awareness. And you can't unsee something once you have seen it. 
then when you start to continue to operate in the way you just said that you like yesterday, where, where you like, oh, I couldn't stop myself. The more awareness you have, the more difficult it will be because you will be betraying yourself. Yes. And we abandon ourselves way too often. And so that's kind of my ongoing mantra with myself in my relationships now. Like, did I just abandon myself? Did I just, did I just censor myself so that I didn't cause a problem or whatever? So again, it's the fine balance of becoming aware and deciding who you want to be in that mm. moment with your child making mm-hmm. a decision, a conscious decision. Who do I want to be in the life of this young person? I love yeah. that. And yeah, I can definitely feel that that sense of betrayal would be real. In particular, because I had this conversation yesterday, you asked the question today. So it was like an obvious learning moment. Hmm. Ding, 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 the bells went off. So um, thank God I'm a quick study. Thank God I'm a quick study. <laughs> You know, and I think I would like to say that I'm a quick study too, but I think to Kim's point, it's the harder part. It's, it's one thing to, to be aware and it's a lot harder to then live into doing something differently Mm -hmm. moving forward and to figuring out what does that look like? You know, I had an experience with my daughter last weekend and Kimmy mentioned something about how sometimes our teenagers can be a trigger for us because, you know, they represent some moment in time in us. And in my former relationship with my ex-husband, I felt like I had to be a different person to accommodate him. He was very narcissistic. And so I often felt like I was shifting my, my persona and my own identity to accommodate him. And in this very innocent moment, we were in the car and I was singing out loud and bebopping around. And my daughter said, you shouldn't do that. That's annoying. And I hate it. And it just triggered something in me because I felt like in that moment, she was saying, I, I shouldn't be who I am and I shouldn't be authentic to who I am because that's annoying. And that's not a good person that I wasn't a good person because I was being authentic to who I was in that moment. And that really triggered me, but I recognized it. So there's that piece of it. And I dug deeper and I figured out, I think that that stems from this space where I felt like I always had to be somebody else in order to accommodate my former relationship. But the hard part is then separating that every single day, Mm -hmm. knowing that she's a teenager, she's 13 years old. She really didn't mean anything by that. I would say that probably if I know a mother out there that doesn't go a day where their kid says you're annoying, you know, they're a teenager. Yeah. Um, right. That's just normal behavior. And she herself is trying to find out who she is as a person too. And so she's differentiating right. herself and it took some kind friends to hold up a mirror and reflect that back to me. Um, but, you know, I think that that's the hard thing too, is now every opportunity there is, I have to sit back and say, well, who do I want to be in this moment? How do I want to parent? And, you know, what is, what is true? Because I, I'm not really sure I have figured out what that is yet. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm not annoying, I know that's not true. Well, maybe some people might think so. <laughs> you know, if I and myself think I'm not annoying, then what is true? You know, what is, who am I? And still I'm, I'm searching for that woman, you know? Me too. Figuring me out too. that answer. I mean, <laughs> me too. But I, I try and become a little bit more conscious every day. And um, 
you know, intentional. And I, one of the other things that I did was really look at what are the books I'm reading? How am I spending my free time? What movies am I watching? What am I internalizing? One of the biggest struggles that I have is I still would love to change, shift my diet. And I'm doing that little by little, but these changes that, that happen, these intentional awarenesses and practices of something new and different that feel truer to ourselves Mm -hmm. don't happen overnight. So, you know, I guess I just want to encourage your listeners too to like, it starts in awareness and it starts in little steps Mm -hmm. every day, you know, and then becoming at some point more comfortable in your own skin because you've unraveled and made conscious decisions to do differently than you were doing. I love that. That's the key to it all. Thank you so much, Kim. (laughs) Yes. And I just want to say thank you for sharing your voice here with us today. Yes. Because we have benefited so much from your words of wisdom and from your willingness to step outside of your comfort zone and to to live into this space. Um, Thank you. So thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely a pleasure. It was great to meet you both. Yes. And we will make sure that we put your book, a link to the book in our show notes. But if people are looking for you, um, where can they find you? Well, they can go to my website, which is reallifeparentguide.com. And if your listeners happen to be on TikTok, I'm at Kim Minch Parent Coach, and I do several videos a day. So I have developed quite a following there. So wonderful. I can't wait to find you on TikTok. This is a medium that I'm still trying to figure out and I'll have to learn from your expertise in that space. (laughs) It's, it's a great way to connect with parents. I didn't realize it really is. I'm learning a lot as someone who watches people on TikTok, but I'm also imparting a lot. So it's been great. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Kim. We look forward to reading your book and appreciate your words of wisdom. Thank you. Thank Thank you, you. Kim. Good to meet you. Oh, that conversation with Kim was truly just the prescription I needed. Yes. That was good. So good. True. Yeah. And, you know, I've learned so much. And again, One of the things that I am walking away with this is that it's okay to acknowledge where we fail as parents. See, I'm owning up. Perfect does not exist. (laughs) Uh, But it's so easy to get stuck in this space where you blame yourself for your children's behaviors or choices. But staying in that space is just not productive. So I am committed to not staying in that space anymore. I love that. And something that I took away is that past trauma, whether it's a big T trauma or a little T trauma, can impact our current behavior tremendously. And those things turn into those limiting beliefs. The things that we hear between our ears of, I don't matter, or I don't have a voice, or I don't have a choice, or I can't do this, or I'm too big or too small, whatever. Um, It's coming from the past. Yeah. And so it's interesting as we grow into the space of being parents, I really found her definition of helping 
versus enabling important. So helping mm-hmm. is actually giving assistance to someone when they can't do it for themselves. And enabling is doing something for someone else that they can or should do for themselves. And that's when we're enabling over and over again, that resentment sets in and is formed. And as parents, we need to learn to differentiate with our children for sure. That's right. And if we can just hold on to that message, that understanding, that realization is really what it was for me, that our children come through us and not for us, except for the lessons that they reflect to us during their journey in an effort to grow us up along the way. So important. So powerful. And then when we get stuck in our limiting beliefs, there are four essential questions that we can ask that will help shift our beliefs and will better serve our relationship to ourselves. And when we do that, those that we love the most, and I know I'm going to be putting to practice those four critical questions that Kim discussed in the show today. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And so ladies, again, if you are out there and listening, we need your support. We need to hear from you. We need to hear what you're appreciating about the podcast. So please leave us a review and let us know. And while you're at it, tell us what's one of your limiting beliefs. See you next week, ladies.